Hey, Deer Creek Church, this is Aaron Ellis from Simply Disciples. Our fall small group semester is coming to a close in just a couple of weeks during the week of December 10th, 2023. Through the fall, we have discussed the doctrine of Scripture, exploring the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the necessity and clarity of Scripture. We have also discussed the doctrine of God, His attributes, and the Trinity. We've discussed God's work in creation as well. But for our final fall episode of Simply Disciples, we would like to hear from you. If you have any questions about anything we have discussed or want to ask a pressing question, you can email us at simplydisciples at deercreekchurch.com or you can go to deercreekchurch.com forward slash simplydisciples and there you will find a form to submit your question. So please write to us a question. We would love to hear from you. Then tune in on December 10th and listen to see if we address your question directly. Again, you can either email your question to simplydisciples at deercreekchurch.com or you can go to deercreekchurch.com forward slash simply disciples and there you can submit your question well we hope to hear from you and we look forward to hearing from you and we look forward to answering your questions on december 10th you're listening to simply disciples a deer creek church discipleship podcast designed to help you think and act faithfully in a changing world. My name's Daniel, and I'm joined today by Aaron uh, Ellis. Aaron is our worship director here at Deer Creek Church, and Tim Ringquist, our executive pastor. Today we're asking the question, how did God create the world? That's the question that we're discussing today. And when you look at the Bible, in Genesis 1, it begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The opening chapter of the Bible continues on day one of creation. God creates light and separates light from darkness and says, it is good. On day two, God creates sea and sky, separating them by a large expanse and says, it is good. Day three follows that same pattern. God creates land, separates land from the waters and says, it is good. And then what God does is... And on days four through six, God fills these spheres that he had just created. On day four of creation, God fills the light and the darkness with the sun and the moon and the stars. And again, he says it's good. On day five, God creates birds and sea creatures to fill the sky and the sea and says it is good. And then on day six, God fills the earth with living creatures, livestock, creeping things, and other animals to fill the earth and says that it is good. Then... God's work of creation comes to its high point. Beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then God gives humankind, Adam and Eve, dominion, rule, authority over all the creatures he created. God says, let Adam and Eve have dominion over all the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And as you'd expect, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, this time he says, it was very good. So after day six, after all of God's very good creation is finished, we read the final words of the creation account. On the seventh day, God finished his work and he rested. And God blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath, and made it holy. 
The creation account is summarized in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which asks, what is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things from nothing by his powerful word in the space of six days and all very good. Guys, we're familiar with this story. We've heard it, and obviously it answers the question, how did God create the world? But a follow-up question might be, well, why is the Bible's teaching on creation so important? And to start us off, Tim, how, how would you answer that question? Why is the Bible's teaching on creation so important? The creation account is really foundational to everything else that follows it. If you think of any story, <laughs> you need the beginning of the story to understand the middle and the end. And, and Francis Schaeffer uh, phrased uh, this in an interesting way at, at one point. Um, he was a, a pastor and philosopher, and he, he was asked, you know, if you had 20 minutes to sell, tell someone about Christianity, what would you do? And he said, I would spend the first 15 minutes on the Bible's teaching of creation. And the reason he said that is that the creation account is foundational to the rest of the Bible. You can't really understand the rest of the Bible, which would be Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, without a good grasp of Genesis 1 and 2, because everything else follows from that foundation. Yep. Just look at that repeated line in the whole creation account. It was good. It was good. It was good. And then it was very good. That tells you right away, God didn't just create the world as we experience it today. No, today we don't, we don't look around us and see good, 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 very good. No, we see a lot of sin. We see a lot of brokenness, hurt, sickness, pain, and death. So that tells us that the way that God created the world is actually radically different from what we see around us now, today. Yeah, and that sets the stage, like you said, Tim, for the rest of the Bible and the main message of the Bible as well, because the main message of the Bible is that God has saved sinners through his son, Jesus Christ, by his sacrificial death on the cross. And one day, Jesus is going to return to renew creation and remove all the effects that sin has had on creation, namely death, pain, and evil. So, if you don't have the account of creation, the good news of Jesus, it just loses all meaning. There's no context to even understand what the gospel's about. And, and even beyond just Jesus, your life itself will lose a sense of meaning, any sort of mooring mm-hmm. to make sense out of the world uh, that you inhabit or who you even are. Mm-hmm. Um, every uh, person, every individual person, every philosophy and every religion tries to answer really a basic set of questions. Like, where did I come from? Mm-hmm. What is my purpose? How should I live? And where am I going? Everyone has to answer these, these kinds of existential questions. Who am I and what is this world that I live in? And, and you can answer those in, in thoughtful ways, rooted in history, rooted in God's revealing of himself, or you can answer it in making up your own answers to those mm-hmm. questions. And those will be pretty unsatisfying, I think, of you know, the typical person in our society. And where did I come from? Nowhere. Yeah. Where am I going? What is my purpose? Uh, whatever I want it to be. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. How should I live? Uh, however I want to. Uh, mm-hmm. Where am I going? Nowhere. Like that's a, an immensely unsatisfying way to live. And but, mm-hmm. but you have to answer those questions. Everyone is answering those questions. That's a great point. So when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, then let's, let's see how those, or that narrative answers those questions. So start with that first question. What does Genesis 1 and 2 tell us about where we came from? Well, it says that we came from God. So we did not create ourselves. We did not come about by random chance. There is a God 
who is more powerful than us and who is the one who created us. The, the Bible says uh, in, in those first two chapters of Genesis, God made or God created, and, and he's the source of all living things and all creation. And in, even when he gets to man there in, in verse 26, God made, let us make, and then God did, and then it said, so God created, God made man in his own image. Yeah, God's the source, he's who we come from, and that does, like you mentioned, Tim, it goes against our culture in crucial ways. Our culture says, you know, we came about by chance. We're actually the product of random chance, all creatures are actually the descendants of one common ancestor. If you look at this idea of macroevolution, this idea that, you know, we actually all started out as kind of material stuff. Somehow that material stuff became living stuff. And it was kind of probably this single cell organism. And then we descended from that single cell organism over the course of billions of years. In essence, the message of our culture is that nobody created us. We came from nothing. And we just happened to exist by this really random occurrence. And that informs the next question, too, because that first question that you brought up, Tim, was, where do we come from? Well, if we don't believe that we're created by a personal and loving God, the God of the Bible, that's going to shape the way we answer the second question, which is, what is our purpose as human beings? Absolutely. If we were created by God, then we have a purpose. Objectively, we have a purpose as human beings. We were created to relate to God uh, to this God of love and to enjoy his goodness. We were created to live with other human beings who are also made in God's image. And we were created to glorify God and have dominion over this world that he has created. And we were created to care for creation under the wisdom and the rule of God. That is actually our purpose, our created purpose. But if we don't believe that, we don't have any purpose. If we believe that we're just the product of random chance and then ultimately our lives don't have any greater meaning, that's that's the conclusion that we have to come to yeah. because we're here by accident. Right. If we are here by accident, then there really is no purpose, no greater story, no purpose we are supposed to serve. So then we just exist, and then we live out the ideal uh, TV show of George Costanza. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Seinfeld. Seinfeld. It's a show about nothing. Yeah, we are. Can we dub in Let's the Seinfeld theme song I don't think, here? I don't think we're that sophisticated. Not co- not, I don't think we have copyright. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we might have to yeah. pay a very large Jerry sum of money. Jerry would to get do a that. lot of money for that. I don't want to live a life that is simply just a show about nothing. Yep. Yep. You know? yep. Okay, so when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, what does it say about the other questions then? What does the story tell us about how we should live then? Well, if we came from a loving and good God, if our purpose is to glorify and enjoy this God, then the way we glorify and enjoy him is by loving him and doing what he commands, by living in a way that he created us for. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And you see that God, has when he created humankind, he created them to have dominion. You see this again um, in, yeah. in chapter 1, verse 26. Um, that he, he says, let them have dominion, right, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens. So uh, to rule under God and over creation, that's what he intended That's what dominion us. means, that's what, right? Yep. Yep. That's what dominion means. So to care for the world as God's representatives. He also created us in his image. So we mirror his image. So we are to live as reflections of God's love, God's justice, God's mercy, his goodness, his holiness, and God's kindness. So when we live this way, we glorify God, 
And we live in the joy he created us for. Yeah, and we actually find true fulfillment in that, right? Like when we reflect God, when we try and mimic his His characteristics, his goodness, his love, his justice, we actually find our greatest joy. It's when we go off script and we start making our, our lives the show about nothing that we start bringing ruin upon ourselves. We live in this tyranny of having to determine meaning for our own lives, and that just becomes oppressive at a point. It's just, diff- it's just so radically different from our culture because our culture tells us exactly that. Make your own meaning. You do you. You think of every Disney movie. Every Disney movie has this premise. Chart your own course. Follow your dreams. Live your truth. I love the movie Frozen. Fantastic music. I've memorized every single song from oh, that. I know. Oh, I know. But the, the underlying premise of all of them is the same, right? Uh, all of the songs are encapsulated in Elsa's song, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. That's how you're going to find your authentic self, your true happiness. That's how you're supposed to live. Just just, just live and you're free. Um, yeah, we definitely can't splice that one in. Disney will shut yeah, us we'll be, down. That will cost we'll immediately, yeah. <laughs> They're um, on top of it. And this reminds me, um, I, I was listening to a, a, a different podcast uh, and it was telling the story of this woman named Claudia. This is a true story. This woman, Claudia, was a writer for a Washington, D.C.-based newspaper, and she was a relativist. And a relativist are, is a person who believes that evil and good are relative, meaning evil and good are just relative to whatever culture you're in. So evil and good is different in the United States than it is from Canada than it is in Papua New Guinea. And she was in this Bible study, and... She uh, had just come back from an assignment that she had been given to write for about a priest in Papua New Guinea who had abused children in Papua New Guinea, hundreds and hundreds of people. And this got her attention, uh, and she was very furious about what was going on in Papua New Guinea, but she was a relativist. So one of the Bible study leaders says, well, Claudia, don't you think that that's wicked? Claudia said, well, you know, child abusers are victims of abuse themselves. So, you know, again, it's just kind of relative. But the the leader said, no, no, no. Yeah, I get that. The Bible says sin carries itself out into the third and fourth generation. But Claudia, is it wicked? She said, well, you know, clearly for some people, they see it that way. But some are afflicted in this way and, and they don't see it that way. And the Bible study leader kept pressing. He said, yeah. We know people see things differently and hide from evil, but Claudia, I'm asking you specifically, was it wicked? This was really hard for her because, you know, she didn't necessarily believe in God. If there's not a God who created us, if there's no overarching meaning, if there's no objective right and wrong to the way that we live, then she had this hard time concluding, oh, you know what? Yeah, that is wicked. Uh, Ultimately, she did. She became a Christian, um, but... For one culture, yes, it, 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 or, or put it this way, you know, if if you don't believe in the God of the Bible and creation, you'd have to say, yeah, hey, for one culture, yes, child abuse is wicked, but for others, it's actually good. Because if God doesn't exist, then good and evil are just determined by what our culture says. Uh, another example would, would be murder. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's almost universal that culturally, in cultures around the world and throughout time, that murder is seen as wrong. Yeah. Uh, the the wrong, um, unjust, willful taking of someone else's life. But really, if you don't have a creator God and you don't have this basis for dignity for human beings, then it's actually not wrong. 
if there is if there is no purpose behind the universe and this all came about by chance actually murder is what we would expect and we should encourage because it's just natural selection playing itself out the strong overpower the weak yep. and so that's what should be and that shouldn't bother us at all but we actually do know in inside that there is a creator and these these things are morally wrong yeah and there is a purpose behind these things and so we know it is wrong of course it's wrong yep. but but without that foundation without the creator then you you can't say that you can't actually say that you can feel that you can think that but you have no objective way of saying that is wrong so genesis 1 and 2 tell us where we came from came from god created by god what's our purpose to glorify god and enjoy him forever how should we live by obeying God, doing his commands, living to please him, following his moral law. Last question, where are we going then? Okay, well, let's take a look back at Genesis chapter 2 first, because yep. uh, 1 through 4, uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through 4, what happened is that God created all things. When he was done with all that, he rested. He enjoyed his creation, mm-hmm. right? So that, that was a big deal. So that's what he did then. But Hebrews 4, telling us where we're going, uh, just verse 1 says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. Okay, so the, I'm going to stop there. That promise, that Sabbath that God set in Genesis chapter 4, that he set that example for. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. Sorry, yeah. Genesis yes. Chapter two. Yeah. Yep. Genesis chapter 2. We are shown in Hebrews chapter 4 that that promise still stands. So it's the the Sabbath, the garden, these all show us that there is an eternal rest. That's where we're going. They all show us there is an eternal Sabbath and and that we were made to enter that rest. We were made to spend eternity with God to enjoy his presence and to do so for all of eternity. Yeah, that's great. And you see... Yeah, that's where we're going. We're going to the Sabbath rest. But everything in that creation account, even the garden, kind of gave us a sign of what's to come, that there is going to be a new creation, a better garden, a place where God himself again will dwell with his people. You see it in Revelation 21 and 22, because the Bible actually ends with a new creation account. Uh, So this is uh, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then Revelation 22, beginning in verse 3, says, No longer will there be anything cursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of, of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So this new crea- this old creation, one tainted by sin, will be completely obliterated. We will enter into this new creation, this new Jerusalem, no tears. God will wipe away our tears from our eyes. And even the light, even the sun, the stars, the moon, those will be done away with because God will be our light. And so this creation story in Genesis 1 and 2 points to this much greater creation that's to come that we're all hoping and longing for. 
And as we uh, wrap up, because that's all the time that we have, uh, again, for Aaron Ellis, Tim Ringquist, see you next time. And uh, before we meet or t- uh, join in next time on Simply Disciples, be sure to pick up a copy of what we believe on the Next Steps table. Until then, uh, we'll see you next time as we talk about how did God create humans in our next edition. See you next week. Thank you.